Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, this conversation is about as big as it gets. The CEOs and the chairman of some of the world's leading out-of-home companies are with us today to talk through what is arguably, along with radio and cinema, the hardest hit media sector globally from the COVID pandemic. From those giant iconic screens in New York's Times Square to London's Piccadilly Circus, Germany's National Rail Network reaching half the population and Sydney's giant Glebe Island silos, they're all here today. We'll get an update on just how public mobility is tracking in key global markets, why these company leaders believe the out-of-home sector will return to its robust pre-COVID growth trajectory, and the future of automation and why programmatic trading of -of out-of-home assets will deliver market-shifting innovation. There's a lot to get through, so welcome Jeremy Mayer, CEO of Outfront Media in the US, Christian Schmaltz, CEO of Germany's Stroer, Tom Goddard, Chairman of Ocean Outdoor in the UK, Tom is also President of the World Out of Home Organisation, and we also have the CEO of Australia's O Media, Brendan Cook. Welcome gents, thanks for joining us. To Jeremy Mail first, Jeremy, you've got Times Square as part of your portfolio, but first, is it a fair observation that the out of home sector has been hit the hardest of all media channels globally and tell us what's been happening a little with the iconic Times Square in the past three to four months. There's been plenty happening, right? Yeah, look, there's been plenty happening and when you look at out of home, there's no doubt, I don't know if it's the the worst, but it's certainly had two pieces that have impacted it. One is the fact that our audiences obviously went down substantively overnight. And the other is that we've been dealing with the whole macro environment. So we've had kind of a double whammy, if you like, in terms of out of home. So, you know, you mentioned Times Square. Big as it is, it's actually a relatively small piece of the, you know, eight and a half billion dollar US out of home industry. And when you look to the US, there's been a lot going on. It's a big place. So you've had markets such as New York that was obviously an epicenter of the of the pandemic, you know, hit pretty bad and pretty early. And then, you know, differing impacts in uh, different parts of the US over time. You know, there's other things going on as well. It's where those audiences are. So in transit right now, so in transport, so in subways um, across the world or in airports across the world, sure, they've been really badly hit. Um, whereas, you know, other more local uh, markets and, you know, highway billboard markets have, you know, maintained um, uh, reasonably robust health given the uh, uh, given the really special situation that we've been in. So that's one of the things, isn't it, Jeremy, that there's, it's quite nuanced, whereas the, the public perception or the market perception of out of home might be that everything's been hit. There are pockets of activity, there are pockets where things are still happening. Yeah, very much so. The other thing is that, you know, if you look back just over the last few weeks, we've obviously seen mobility start to significantly increase. It's also, uh, it's different types of journeys. So, uh, in certain of our, you know, more uh, rural markets, actually, you know, business has, um, you know, held up uh, really pretty well. But if you look at it in totality, last year, you know, we were up kind of double digits in revenue, and we guided in uh, Q2 for our business, okay, which is very transit orientated and it's very oriented towards the big cities. We guided. Uh, Wall Street to around um, to minus 50% in terms of revenues in Q2. So you can see the impact it's had. 
but Q2 is the bottom and uh, we, we move onwards and upwards from here. Well, we all know Times Square, so I'm busting to know what's been on the big screens in that, in that uh, precinct. We've definitely carried uh, some great ads uh, over time in Times Square. Uh, we've had some great paid-for ads, and also we've done some really, really good pro bono work for our health workers. We've carried a lot of um, Black Lives Matter um, uh, copy as well, which uh, is something we feel very, very strongly about. So, look, it's not just also about the people that are there actually looking at the ads in Times Square. You know, it's also about the whole... Um, sharing of that moment on social, and that's been uh, huge also. Tom Goddard, uh, Piccadilly Circus and the UK market. Uh, is it the same story? Firstly, it's great to be here, Paul. Yeah, Piccadilly Circus is, is really special. It's, um, it's kind of embedded in the psyche of, of British people going back to uh, World War II. You know, people, uh, people put ads on Piccadilly Circus, uh, sure, because there's massive footfall in, in the area, but but more and more these these days, they they're using Piccadilly Circus to to drive social media and, and national news. And um, as it turned out during this pandemic, Piccadilly went even you know, up a gear and has become the nation's billboard. And um, it's it's the most featured piece of media in all media uh, in terms of news uh, articles during the pandemic. And it's it's, it's become something that really now is very special uh, and even more so going forward. And it's not just Piccadilly Circus. I think most iconic uh, digital out-of-home screens now are being used to drive that social media and, and national news uh, news stories. You, you know the uh, amazing response we've had in terms of the, of the Queen on the screen uh, where uh, we put Queen Elizabeth up following the uh, uh, historic broadcast she did on the BBC. and. I mean, that, that, that received 1,250 news articles. It uh, had an 81.5 million reach, and uh, it had media value of about 4.1 million. So astonishing amplified effect. And, and of course, that's the reason why just before um, the pandemic that they, they launched the James Bond movie on Piccadilly Circus. So, so I think digital out of home and the whole social media connectivity now is, conver is converging. Tom, what's, what's happened with mobility, with people moving around? You've got some numbers, uh, got, got as low as 50%, I think. Well, well just reflecting what Jeremy said, um, you look at the channel. So in roadside in the UK, that dropped in April 54%. Um, and even London was down 58%. Um, but, but rail was down 80%. And, um, and underground 83%, and I guess airports even more so. So the mobility numbers plummeted, uh, and along with that, the revenue numbers plummeted uh, also. And, you know, for, for April and May, the revenue numbers were, were sitting at about 10% of uh, 19, uh, 2019 figures. Um, but in June and July, they started to climb back, and, and they're now back over 50%. Um, the market is very short-term, Paul. It's uh, you know people are, are, are buying media now weeks ahead, uh, but but you know we are seeing some great categories coming back. Uh, the government is a strong category, obviously with health messages, uh, but we also motors come back strongly, and the telcos are there. Um, Amazon, Netflix, Sky, the uh, the media that are doing well during the pandemic, they're they're in there as well. So we are seeing progressive build-up until September. 
and, and everybody is expecting a strong Q4, although visibility is very, very short. Christian, you've got a, a very good story emerging too in Germany. In fact, I think by quarter four, you'll be close to returning to pre-COVID activity. Is that right? Yeah, the question is how you define close to, but uh, I think we had a very very special situation in Germany, or at least slightly different than in other countries. We had a rather soft lockdown for only seven or eight weeks. The peak peak of the crisis was already at the beginning of April and already from May onwards, shops, restaurants opened up again and public transport started to normalize. Uh, So when you look, for instance, at the Apple mobility report or also at the mass mobility data of telco, companies, you could see that already by end of June, audience and, uh, and traffic in general uh, in public spaces was more or less on a, on a normal or pre-COVID level. Public transport maybe still a little bit lower, but therefore roadside traffic almost above uh, uh, the corona times. Uh, and I think that's why in our case, the hit was less hard and the recovery started earlier. And uh, as meanwhile, almost a third of our districts doesn't see any new COVID cases uh, in the last two or three weeks. Also, our local and regional business has normalized. So I would say there is a fair chance in a country like Germany that throughout Q4, we get at least to 80 or 90 percent or of where we've been before the crisis. And I think that gives also other markets at least some kind of confidence that the business will come back. It may start a little bit later and it may start from a lower base, depending on how hard uh, the lockdown was. But you see that the momentum of the medium is fully intact. And especially when when people and the audience goes out again and almost celebrates that the new freedom, uh, I think then the medium is more attractive than ever to to position brands uh, in that context. To be clear, uh, Christian, when we talk about quarter four, this is fiscal quarter four. Uh, calendar fiscal four, so calendar. Okay, exactly. Uh, Brendan Cook, uh, how does Australia fit into that global view? And and also tell us about New Zealand. Uh, it could be the world's leading indicator. I'm a Kiwi, by the way, Brendan. <laughs> a very good one at that. New Zealand's been great. Uh, it's been funny. The uh, it's been a classic V shape there, rather than the Nike swoosh that we've seen in other areas. Firstly, on audience, uh, no doubt. As soon as the hard lockdown, the very hard lockdown they had, was released, the crowds came back relatively quickly as they went through from level four to level two and one. And the dollars have, uh, have, have started to recover well as well. And, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, in the last five weeks, we've written very similar numbers to what we wrote in the uh, in the corresponding period of the year previous in terms of the volume of sales each week. And so the traffic numbers are really back in shopping centres, retails up in sales, cars and driving on the streets. Still a bit subdued in the CBD, but much stronger than probably CBDs um, within Sydney and Melbourne. In Australia, of course, West Australia, South Australia, Queensland, they're all fully back. Um, uh, audience numbers are, uh, are going well. Victoria's obviously been the hardest hit the first time round and then quickly going into a second bout of lockdowns, they've been hit hard and we're seeing a drop there. But the big thing for us is similar to what uh, Jeremy talked about, um, is the suburban areas have really seen your billboards and your bus shelters and your shopping centres uh, tracked a lot of dollars, not only originally from government during the period because people were shopping and staying local, um, but it's carried forward now because that's a very certain area that people know uh, with anyone working from home uh, while they wait to go back to offices. 
that that's where they're doing their local, they're, they're doing all their local activities. So I think that uh, we certainly saw, similar to what Christian mentioned, uh, when people get confidence, they come back out. Advertisers then have confidence that Outer Home's got its audiences to a reasonable number and then they start to fly back. So no doubt we'll be, we'll be a bit hit at the moment with the Melbourne lockdown out of uh, Victoria, a bit of confidence lost there, but that will, uh, I'm sure, come back strongly uh, once once uh, confidence comes back to the market and restrictions are released. So, Christian, um, the, the critics argue that there are massive structural shifts uh, to out of home because of changes to work from home. Uh, you're not buying it, though, are you? No, for, for different reasons. I think, first of all, when you just look uh, at the crisis and what happened, especially in March, April and May, I mean, for funny reasons, TV ratings were up by 10%, but their revenues were down by 50 out of home. Audience was down by 40 to 45% and revenues were also down by 50. So it looks like there is not that simple correlation between audience and, and, uh, and revenues and advertisers have a different view on the various media. And I think secondly, especially on that work from home topic, one of the challenge in our industry is that we all work in a, in a very specific bubble. And the truth, when I just look at the example of Germany, is that 60% of our working population has no office jobs. So work from home is quite difficult when you're a nurse or you work in the car production. Uh, I think secondly, half of the office jobs doesn't at least at the moment have work from home opportunities. And even during the crisis, only half of the potential was used. And meanwhile, I would say even those who, who have the opportunity are back at least three to four di- days per week because uh, the kind of social experience within the office becomes even more valuable when you had to work for three or four months from home. So I think that's something where uh, I would wait what the next couple of weeks and months bring. And no doubt there will be more work from home than before the crisis, but I would question if suddenly there is more work from home than actually work from the office. If I could jump in there, Paul, just to say that, you know, some people think there will be a lot of structural change post-pandemic, but other people who have been through a lot of crises, the the recession of the 90s, the dot-com bubble, the uh, 9-11, you know, have seen how, how outdoors come back after all of those issues. I think the, the, the thing I would add, and I totally agree with Christian, is that you can't build a corporate culture from the kitchen or the bedroom. You know, you, you can build a corporate culture in the office where most young people want to be. And so I think uh, the, the, the mobility changes uh, will be far less pronounced, you know, when we get on the other side of the pandemic. So while we're talking bubbles and myths, uh, Jeremy, you're certainly not buying the work from home argument. You, you really believe that people want to get back with uh, those things called people. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Look, I completely agree with, um, with with Christian and Tom. It's interesting. I had um, some friends over with their 22-year-old daughter just the other night who works for Wyden and Kennedy in New York. And I'll tell you what, she doesn't want to be sitting in her bedroom and she doesn't want to be in the suburbs. That's the other myth is that some, in some way, you know, cities are going to be decimated in the future and start, you know, losing, uh, uh, losing residents and losing population. I think that both, uh, I think that both um, total myths, uh, as I see it, it's a bump in the road and it doesn't change the, uh, the basic 
um, growth story of cities and indeed the structural growth story of out of home that we've been seeing over the last 25 years. Brendan, what's the view from Australia on work from home and and I guess beyond COVID as we as we come through it at some point and we will, you think the out of home sector's ongoing digitization will actually transform faster than Google, Facebook and Amazon. Quite a call there, but first, uh, work from home. Well, I think it's similar to what many people talked about, but it's going to have some nuances around, but I think there's more flexibility going to be available and that's going to be a positive. In the creative and the sales roles and the strategy and the solution roles and the ones that deal with the customer facing area, even our commercial areas, they all want to be back in the office. They learn from each other quicker and better and they miss some of the, the brainstorming sessions that you can only get when people are in a room and I've seen it with our journalists as well. Flexibility will be there, but certain areas definitely won't want to be working from home and that's Jeremy quite rightly pointed out, the younger they are, certainly they don't. Um, finance and a few other areas, you know, they would like to work more from home and that may be accommodated. Um, but the reality is I think the, the culture that you need to create, some of the training that comes from people being in offices together and the education that you're giving teams about your business, uh, some of that needs to have, clearly needs and, and desires to have people working together. Uh, in terms of the Google, Facebook, Amazon comment, I mean, it really, it really stems from... People tend to think that you know digital signs have been around for a while, but it's all about scaled audiences. And uh, I'll just use Australia's example. We probably reached scaled audiences uh, about 18 months ago, and it cost a lot of money. We're not a we're not an online business. We are a physical medium. We've got to pay lots of capex. We've got to build lots of signs. And uh, the reality is that once you've got that scale of audience and you've got that base capital then you can start to invest even further than what you were into automation, into data, into the systems that re-change a traditional medium, a medium company into a, you know, into a robust, long-term, uh, different business to what it was for the last 100 years. So uh, from that point of view, if you look at how long it's taken businesses to evolve in the digital area, you know, I like to think that we're only about 18 months into the cycle, really, and uh, the next two years... I think we'll see dramatic change globally in how out-of-home operates and what it can do. Christian, you're, you're very advanced on this front. How quickly does screen digitisation, programmatic trading uh, and data transform the out-of-home sector, obviously in Germany, but beyond? Yeah, sometimes it's it's not just a linear development. You, you need different triggers. And uh, I think in Germany, meanwhile, we are quite advanced uh, as far as programmatic advertising on digital out-of-home is concerned. So at the moment, and I think consolidation, market consolidation is something that supports that development heavily. Uh, as Stroer, we control roughly 90% of the relevant digital out-of-home inventory in Germany. That's just a small bit. Uh, it's a small bit, could be bigger, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's always great to have opportunities left, I'd say. So, uh, and 25% of the revenues on digital out of home come meanwhile from, from trading desks and DSPs. Uh, that's the number today, but just two years ago, that, that number was 3%. And we had the first programmatic campaign back in 2015, and it took like from individual pre-testing to the first 3%, it took two, two and a half years, and then from three to 25%, uh, and a lot of that was really incremental money, took another two, two years. So sometimes the market is a bit slow in adapting to that, but uh, what we see is that it puts uh, 
the digital inventory in a completely different context because suddenly people look at out of home or digital out of home as if they would look at uh, online inventory. They buy it, uh, for instance, video advertising solutions uh, on digital out of home screens. They buy it like pre-roll ads uh, or mobile ads. And I think that just gives us a better access to the market. And and I think especially in the, in the COVID context, that is an in, important aspect. It just makes the advertiser more flexible. Uh, they are more flexible also by uh, adopting uh, creatives quickly and react to the specific situation uh, during the crisis. You say 25% uh, currently, uh, Christian. What what could that get to in, in, in a couple of years? What's your, what's your forecast? Well, I mean, I think all media that can become digital will become digital one day. And in theory, everything that's digital can be traded automatically or programmatically. So the, the theoretical number is 100. But yes. if I just look at the nearer future, in Ger- Germany is rather a slow country uh, as far as online advertising is concerned. So here the, in the online world, the programmatic share is 45%. Digital out of home is 25 So I think the next step would be that digital out of home catches up with online. If I then look at the global programmatic share of online media, that's around 65 to 70%. And I think a very advanced market like the US is already beyond 70%. And I think that the question is, when will we get to that level? But I would say the general direction is, is quite clear. It's just about timing and, and the different milestones and phases in that process. Does programmatic uh, broaden the demand uh, sources for, for out of home, digital out of home, i.e. just not media agencies, for instance? Does it bring in a different type of, of buyer? And is that, a, is that a, an opportunity? Yeah, we have a lot of uh, very almost pure digital agency that had never that have been never dealing with traditional media and just focus on digital. And I think that opens up more revenues. We have a lot of e-commerce clients that also do most of their media buying directly, especially in the online world. They suddenly buy through the programmatic opportunities, digital out of home directly, just in combination with. Uh, with uh, the online spend. And uh, I would also say that in general, it opens up uh, all the money pots that sit in the digital space because out of home is not like a separate category with digital out of home and the programmatic access, it's part of the complete digital universe. And that's meanwhile globally, I don't know, 35, 40% of the total ad spend. Uh, And I think that's the, the really interesting opportunity. You make an interesting uh, observation that the out-of-home sector has probably probably learned some of the grave lessons from publishing on why sort of allowing intermediaries to sell your space is, is not a good call. Um, so what's the alternative from your perspective if, if intermediaries, are big open exchanges and so forth, um, you don't let them have, have a, a little bit of a touch on your, on your inventory? Yeah, that's sometimes the advantage when you're a bit conservative and slow. You can let other others make make the bigger mistakes first and then learn from it. So when I look at our business and, and the programmatic part of it, I mean, the share of open auction uh, deals is zero. So we only focus on, on private deals and programmatic guaranteed structures because we want to be sure that we know the buyer and the buyer knows exactly uh, what, what he or she gets. And uh, secondly, we have organized the whole tech 
backbone in a way that we control pricing delivery and the whole supply chain instead of intermediaries getting in, disconnecting supply and demand and, and creating or developing their own arbitrage uh, business. And ultimately, I think that's mid to long term, also strategically the right thing for advertisers because the biggest topics at the moment in the online world are brand safety, yeah, ad fraud and visibility. And all of it is uh, meaning extra costs for, for advertisers just to understand and control what's going on. In, in our way, I think we have no ad fraud, no visibility problems or anything like that because we, we ultimately are responsible for placing the ads in the right context and we need to make sure that that is also happening even if, if uh, media buying is more automated or happening programmatically. Tom, you, the UK market, how does that sit? But also as the president of, of the global organisation, the global view is 25% Christian talks about. What, what's your sense on what that number is in, in various markets? Also, should out-of-home companies, to Christian's point, combine some of these trading platforms, do something together rather than compete against each other? What's your, your, your views on that? Great question, Paul. A big question that I'm asked so often on webinars and, and podcasts. I think the... Uh, the question gets back into automation and programmatic because uh, one of the one of the COVID dividends in the UK, Paul, has been um, we had time to move forward with our uh, technological development as an industry um, towards better automation and programmatic, and we are in fact um, now six months ahead of where we expected to be because of. Um, um, the, the silver lining that has come out of the pandemic. And in terms of, um, we, we are now fully integrated as an industry with the media buying agencies. And we're already using data triggers like uh, weather and pollen uh, to plan campaigns. We're not yet uh, as far ahead as uh, Christian is in terms of being fully um, programmatic and using algorithms. But but we will be there next year and we will be driving uh, sequential messaging and, um, and scalable targeting. And I think getting to those standard, standard practice and very high quality practice leads on to the question then you asked, which is, you know, should we all be duplicating costs, having our own platforms, or should we be uh, combining in some way? It doesn't necessarily mean uh, giving away any control, but... But I guess my point is we need to scale up if we want to compete with big tech. If we really want to compete with big tech, we have to, to, to scale up. We have to give greater accessibility to huge audiences. And, and therefore, I think that's going to drive more collaboration and more sharing of platforms in the future. Jeremy, do you buy that, that argument from your learned colleague you lost across the Atlantic? I buy lots of um, Mr. Goddard's arguments, but I'm not certain I buy the shared platform. Um, look, I know I'm not certain that there's um, real complexity in having uh, a number of different um, uh, platforms out there. But I, bu I buy the rest of uh, what both Tom and Christian have said. Uh, interestingly, the US is actually probably slightly behind um, in terms of out-of-home programmatic right now. So I think Christian said he was 3% a couple of years ago and uh, uh, up to 25% now. Uh, we're, we're certainly closer to the, to the 3%. And, you know, similarly, I think 
you know, as soon as you use the P word, it assumes this real-time bidding piece. I'm kind of with Christian. Look, I think private markets uh, are likely the uh, likely the way to go. Um, I think it's more about automation. It's more about um, fueling buys with data and insight, and then having the ability to you know to to to, to purchase uh, in in real time, and you know out of home in the U.S. is a five percent. 5% business of 5% of media is out of home. We've got 95% to, to go for. Um, the majority of that 95% is digitally traded. And I've got no doubt at all that, you know, we are going to be um, principally uh, digitally traded in a number of years. The exact number, a little difficult to say. And, you know, don't just think about, if you think about out of home, it's not just about actually this, um, automation or programmatic piece. It's also the way that, you know, we now are so complementary with mobile. I mean, we've, we've sold 4,000 mobile campaigns as a kind of would you like fries with that overlay to selling to selling billboard campaigns. And that's a significant number of campaigns. And we also spend a lot of time talking about um, amplification and how uh, out of home actually drives online behavior. So, you know, there's a number of pieces with regards to, if you like, in inverted commas, digital and tech, apart from just the trading piece that really play into out of home's hands right now. Brendan Cook, you, you've got a big play in mobile and data, but you've also got some 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 red flags. Uh, to talk to us about some of those some of those concerns you say the market needs to be aware of around perhaps the dubious uh, or ro robust nature of some of the data that the market is buying. And also, uh, let's go to to Tom's point about collaboration and coordination on platforms. Um, I suspect you might be more aligned to Jeremy. I'm, I'm reasonably aligned to Jeremy. I always am, and but. Uh um, uh, I think the, the first thing is that um, data is very important and I think that uh, um, there is in the moment where you have some of the platforms that can provide what appears to be a, a, a front end for, um, for programmatic or automation, they're really doing a part of the job and I don't think the data verification part really is to the standard that we'd want. I think as industry bodies we've got to, we've got to develop better and robust techniques there to ensure that we take control of that. And that's certainly where I think industries play a, and a major role. But I, I do kind of have this question of, um, you know, uh, private marketplaces is, 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 is what we're doing today in reality. I take Google as a client, as an example. They, um, they wanted dynamic capabilities. They wanted uh, built on their search data. They wanted it at location so that they could change creative. They wanted different environments to have different ways of putting the creative. They wanted the context, time, day, all those things. Um, they wanted to use our data in terms of where we understood some behavioural and other traits around uh, around particular sites. They wanted it verified and they wanted it easy to activate. So in reality, they had over 2,500 base creatives, 66,000 variable campaigns ran in terms of some form of it changing. Had all the functionality that I talked about all, uh, earlier. So in the office environment, for example, they would have a morning blues ad and then they'd have the coffee shops near me uh, so that you could see where you would need to go to that. Or in retail, they would sell, they'd put up boots uh, because it was the football season and then they'd have football schools in real times. And on billboards they'd have, and, and weekends, they'd have something different around weekend treats, relaxation, headlines, etc. The key to that still is to me is creativity. If you don't get the creative right, it doesn't work. 
and as analytics partners who are a global mixed market modelling company and they do a lot of work here in Australia, billions of dollars worth of ad spends and lots of different creative variables. They've been able to work out in the last few years that over and above the normal ROI increase that Out of Home brings to a campaign, if you do the digital part with that right context, location, creative messaging, you get a 28% further improvement in your ROI. And if 40% of uh, ROI is determined by creativity, which is, is on Out of Home, um, then that becomes the single first thing that has to be solved. If we get that right, all the other tech-related issues become easier to deliver because we sell more for clients. Tom, I've just got to say, I'm with you on this collaboration stuff. I'm coming from the, the publishing sector myself and newspapers. Uh, we have absolutely seen the, the, the hyper-competitiveness of individual players try to match what's happened uh, from big tech that hasn't happened. What sort of arguments are you going to need to convince your colleagues here that they should be more collaborative on DSPs and, and, and a trading and a, tr a single trading platform? What, what's going to convince them? How do we do this? Well, I, I think part of the uh, dynamic for that, Paul, is, is you know, um, I hope Jeremy is right when he, when he describes um, the pandemic as a bump in the road. Um, uh, so when we get over that bump, um, we're going to have to um, pay the bills uh, that the uh, society and the governments have, have uh, invested in, in getting us through this. And I think there will be pressure for a lot of economies of scale. I think there'll be a lot of pressure for efficiency. So, so um, the, the good thing about the discussion today on creativity and on programmatic and automation is uh, out of home is really at base camp on these. If we were saying that we were optimized in those two areas, we, we wouldn't have the kind of growth opportunity we have. So, so you know, in, in terms of out of home, there's, there's no structural problems. Uh, in online uh, social, you have massive brand safety issues, uh, declining audiences on TV, um, uh, you know, plummeting circulation on press. Whereas we're getting into an exciting new world of automation. Uh, uh, we're, we're also doing programmatic. We're going to be doing a lot more with data. Uh, and then we get on to Brendan's point about uh, you know, messaging and, and dynamic content. And then you add to the fact that there is going to be more consolidation. Uh, I, I think economies of scale will demand that. Um, and I think uh, th that, that um, momentum will, will switch Paul onto examining uh, all the individual trading platforms and will lead, I think, to more scale and uh, making out of home stronger to compete against big tech. Christian, uh, Tom's point on consolidation, do we take it then that, uh, that you and, and Jeremy may do a merger? Well, we are both publicly listed companies, so we cannot talk about the details of <laughs> that was a very cheeky. That was a very cheeky question, Christian. But I actually do want to get you on the creative argument and the effectiveness uh, of creative in out of home. It is undercooked by the market. It's not seen as something as a priority. It's more about the digitization, and, and uh, we talk a lot about that in channel and audiences, not necessarily about creative. Yeah, and I, and I think, but I think that was always a challenge for out of home. Yeah, because creative agencies always had more fun in flying to South Africa <laughs> and uh, make, make great uh, ad movies because the light's so fantastic there. The lions are pretty good too. I exactly. <laughs> At least some say so. And uh, uh, the other way around, it's, it's quite a tough job if you talk about classic out of home 
and you know you have a lot of contacts with the audience, but it's always for two or three seconds. So being really to the point and distilling the key message out of uh, what you want to say is, is quite difficult. And I think uh, very often uh, the TV commercial was, was produced first and then maybe the print copy and afterwards they tried to adopt the print copy to get something that you could put on a billboard. I think the nice thing about digital now is that that kind of A-B testing is just normal. It's fast, it's easier to change the creative and you get more into that kind of testing and re-engineering mode that uh, ad advertising agencies are familiar with from, from the digital world. And I think that also uh, gives new opportunities for our industry. So what we meanwhile do is, I would say for at least 15 to 20% of our campaigns, we offer clients pre-tests. And if they deliver really shitty creative, uh, we do it for free just to avoid that, that fantastic inventory yeah, is app used for, uh, for mediocre uh, creative. And I think we probably need to learn to take more responsibility for what we actually deliver also content-wise to the people. Because ultimately, if the, the return on investment isn't right, yeah, the money might go somewhere else. So final thoughts uh, from each of the panelists. Uh, Tom, we'll start with you, with a global view from the World Out of Home Organization uh, and the UK market. What's the, what's the final message you think uh, the market should be hearing? Okay, well, just remember that my four, uh, uh, my three colleagues on the call are also board members of the WOO, and so uh, uh, they will have views as well. I, I've been really impressed, Paul, with the way the global out-of-home industry has responded to this uh, major challenge. Um, uh, the China market went into into a meltdown the earliest there, about two months ahead of the rest, and they've come out a bit faster. Um, and all of the markets have responded with incredible agility in terms of uh, social and charity mes messaging initially as the brands were getting their acts together. And in all markets and all continents, we see this, uh, uh, as Brendan said, nuki swoosh sort of climb back to where we were. Um, and um, I think um, uh, we've every reason to believe uh, that all the fundamentals about out of home that were there before the pandemic will be there after it. Um, and that, that, you know, is primarily a growing audience. People want to be out of home. That will continue. That will come back. Um, and I think the, the, the automation uh, piece is not just about being able to do programmatic and data and, um, and connectivity. It's also about efficiencies. And there are, there are lots of duplications between media owners and media agencies that we have to look at at the end of this crisis. I, I think too many... Uh, of the same th things and um, I think the out-of-home medium needs to collaborate much more with the agencies on the brand facing side. We will always continue to be very competitive and must continue to be very competitive on the real estate side uh, of the game but on the brand facing side um, I think um, there are lots of um, efficiencies and elimination of duplication to come. Jeremy, your final thoughts? Yeah, look, I agree with um pretty much everything uh, Tom said there. If you look at the last 25 years, you've had almost uninterrupted growth of share of out of home uh, throughout that time, except for the GFC. I think that the reasons and principles of that growth um, are as valid going forward 
um, as they are looking back, despite um, you know, despite the uh, the pandemic that we've just gone through. It's interesting when you look at the at the U.S. in particular, and speaking for, for this market. Um, you know, we're a relatively small share of media, let's say four or five percent here in the U.S., which is significantly lower um, than the global average, which is uh, up over up over seven percent. Christian, Jeremy's pretty upbeat. I suspect you've probably got a similar story. Uh, fully agree with the long-term development, uh, but maybe I think the whole COVID crisis is. Uh, it's not changing the world. It's in many areas accelerating uh, existing development. And I think it's also teaching all of us a little bit of, of, of humbleness to look again at what clients really need. Because when you sit on a growing market share, you sometimes forget a little bit to look at what, what your key clients want. And I think clients nowadays, they think digital first. And that's why more than ever, and that's a learning out of the crisis, we need to put digital at the very top of our agenda. I think clients want simple, convenient solutions. They want to reduce complexity in a quite complex digital world. I think that needs to more, leads to more cooperation in our industry, sometimes also consolidation and a better focus on automating our processes. Brendan Cook, the, the final words for Down Under. What's, the, what's your take? Well, firstly, uh, the three gents are clearly uh, clearly on the same path as all of us, and I think that's a, a global recognition is pretty strong there. And I agree wholeheartedly with uh, Christian's view on, you know, taking a, a more customer-centric focus as we have been all very busy building and expanding the digital footprint, uh, which takes a lot of energy, time and capital. And I think, therefore, the, the um, continued... Uh, work that's going on around uh, automation and operating processes to allow for better creativity, better speed, built with, of course, uh, improving the data qualities uh, that we all have to make it uh, better for clients to buy. And finally, I think we've just got to remind everyone that we are a creative canvas, even a digital. And that big creative canvas that we have out there is why people like Apple and Amazon and, and Facebook and Google and all these other major brands around the world use the out-of-home medium because they know when they want to build brand fame, they go on out-of-home. Gents, thank you. I'm not sure we could have got a bigger, better, smarter perspective on the global out-of-home sector than this particular 40 minutes, I believe. Um, so stay safe and uh, the best for your, your companies. Thank you, thank you MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.